The young skydiver jumped out of the plane at 3,300 feet. And almost immediately, his primary parachute became, in his words, garbage. His secondary chute was deployed, and it became entangled in the first chute, and he plummeted toward the earth at 100 feet per second, screaming, kicking, certain he was going to die. In his own words, he said, I knew I was dead and that my life was ended right then. There was nothing I could do. It was all over. My mind started doing weird things. All my past life flashed before my eyes. Well, obviously, if he told us those words, he didn't die in the fall. There was just enough air caught in the parachutes that when he hit the ground, <clears throat> he hit in such a way that he lived through that experience. Isn't it interesting, though, that he records what many others have said who have had near-death experiences. All my life flashed before me in a second. Have you ever wondered why that is? What is the cause of that phenomenon? Today we are thinking about God and that particular aspect of God's nature called his justice. We cannot expect to fully understand God. If we could do that, if our finite minds could grasp the infinite, then we would be greater than he. It's not that God is irrational, but God is supra-rational. He is above being able to be reasoned out. He is a God who has no limitations except those who, which are imposed by his own nature. But because he is without limitation, we are unable to reason, to imagine, or to evaluate him and to, so as to comprehend what is incomprehensible. <clears throat> There are some things about God which we might rather not think about. Some of those things trouble our minds. For example, if God is both all-powerful and loving, why is there suffering in the world? Some things we would rather not think about because they challenge our imagination. How can you imagine a person, a being, which had no beginning? It's a little easier to think of something that has no ending, but no beginning, ever. There are some things that we might rather not think about because they expose our vulnerability as human beings. And God's justice, it seems to me, falls into that category. God is love and God is gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. He is good. But he is also, at the very same time, a God who hates sin with a perfect hatred because sin is contrary to his holiness. 
And so today we worship a God who judges. There is an ultimate accountability that is written into the moral order of the universe. The creature is ultimately responsible to his creator. Now, Christians need not blush to speak of that. We need not be embarrassed as though that were some blemish on the character of God. The fact that God judges is not inconsistent with any of the other attributes that we have studied about him, his goodness, his love, or any of the others. In fact, God himself does not conceal, he does not conceal in the Bible the fact that he is a God who judges. He is upfront about it, he is open about it. In fact, he calls himself a God of vengeance and a God who is angry with sinners every day. That's God's own terminology about himself. In fact, there would be a defect in God if he had no wrath. Because indifference to sin is a defect. God's very nature makes it essential that he be a God of judgment as well as salvation. That he offer hell as a destiny as well as heaven. God's very nature demands that. God is a God who judges. And you and I are wise to reflect on this truth that is most commonly overlooked about God. It is wise for us to reflect upon it so that we can then order our lives in the light of it. The Bible tells us that God judges nations and individuals. God judges the secrets of the heart as well as the works of the lives. He judges spoken words and subversive attitudes. He judges his own people as well as those to whom he will say, according to what he himself has already predicted, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye cursed. God judges. Now why does God judge? Well, I want to reemphasize the fact that God is a God of judgment because he is just. God is far beyond fair. God is just. And his justice demands a final accountability. God's justice demands that he condemn what is sinful, what is wicked, and that he reward what is good and what is righteous. And we need to understand that God is not arbitrary regarding the standard of his justice. God's moral law, revealed in the Bible, tells us the righteousness of his nature. It exposes his perfect love to us as well, because God's law, you see, insists upon perfect love being expressed among creatures, 
human creatures for their own welfare. In fact, I think it might even be argued that the law is a codification of his love, if you please, for human conduct. And so to break the commandments of God, the law of God, the moral code of God, is not just to offend his righteousness, but it is also to transgress his love. Because in the moral code of God, let's even narrow it down to the Ten Commandments, we find a codification of his love. And for men to live on this earth expressing love to one another would require the keeping of the Ten Commandments. It is the expression of his love as well as his righteousness. And it's important to understand that God's standards of morality are absolute and unchanging despite the changing culture around us. God's standards for human morality and human conduct form the standard by which personal judgment will one day be determined. When will that be? When will judgment come? And I'm speaking now of personal judgment. Well, the answer to that is that judgment will come at the appropriate time to fully measure the, the impact and the consequences of each life. Now, the fact is that there are some consequences of sin that occur during life itself. God has built into certain sins consequences which fall out in this lifetime upon those who practice that disobedience. But that is not the final judgment. It's significant, but it's not the final judgment. It can also be said that there is some temporal judgment. And by that I mean that there are times when God directly intervenes during the span of time to bring judgment. Many examples of this in the Bible. The flood of Noah that was mentioned in our text this morning in 2 Peter is an example of it. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of it. And it says there in the Word that both of those happened as an example to those who would afterward live ungodly, that they might know that God will judge, no doubt about it. We have an example of it in uh, Jeroboam. We have an example of it in Uzziah. We have an example of it in Ananias and Sapphira. There are times when God brings temporal judgment, sometimes involving death or disease or destruction, but that is not the final judgment. I've shared with you before the story of a person who was a gossip in a church. This occurred more than 25 years ago. How long before that, I don't know. But I heard it 25 years ago. A church in New York was uh, being divided by a gossip in the church. 
the pastor went to the home of the gossip and pled with her that she might stop the talking that was going on. In this case, it was a woman. It doesn't always have to be a woman. We know that from experience, don't we? And she absolutely refused to do that. And so he got down his knees right there in her living room and said, Oh, Lord, you know I have tried, and I now commit this lady to you. And he left. And the next Sunday he rolled around, and Sunday school was about to begin. There was one adult class. The pastor taught it. And sure enough, just before the class began, in walked this lady. And she sat down in the front row, and immediately, by just watching her, the pastor could tell to whom she had talked, because she was nodding around the classroom to each one of them. And when she had nodded to the last one, she slumped out of her chair, dead of a heart attack. God does bring temporal judgment. But what I'm talking about this morning is the final judgment. The final judgment does not take place during this life. I know that there are those who say, well, hell is in this life. Certainly this life can be in some sense hellish. But hell does not come in this life. The final judgment, you see, comes after death. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. The judgment comes at the conclusion, actually, of history. And who is going to judge? Well, certainly, we are not capable of judging each other. It is not our place to judge other human beings. Although there is some judgment that will be committed to God's people. But judgment of human beings will ultimately rest with one person and one person only. And he is a man. He is also God. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 5 that the Father had committed all judgment to him. He is the one who is called in Hebrews 12, the judge of all. And in Genesis 18.25, the judge of all the earth. In 2 Timothy 1, 4, rather, verses 1 and 8, again, Jesus Christ is named the judge of all, and it says both the living and the dead. Now, why is he the judge? It is because he is the uniquely qualified one to do it. For he is both God and man. As God, he possesses perfect knowledge and dispenses perfect justice. As man, he is able to identify with man as a creature. And so as the God-man, he is perfectly qualified to judge man as God. And all people will be judged. Not at the same time. That is a common misconception that someday there is going to be this great gathering of people and at that time those who are saved are going to be separated from those who are lost and it's just one big judgment at the end. But the Bible seems to indicate something different than that. The Bible indicates that there is judgment that is given to certain groups of people at different times. 
Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by our faith in Him can thank God that at least one aspect of our judgment is already passed. And that aspect is the judgment upon our sin. For when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we went back to the cross of Calvary, and there we understood that on that cross, Jesus Christ died in our place to bear our judgment for sin. And so the judgment for sin that is past occurred at the cross. And we will never be held liable before God as guilty for that sin that Jesus died for. That's past. But we will have an accounting with God for the deeds, the works of our lives. So then every one of us shall give account of himself before God, writes the Apostle. Further, he says, so then every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive what, for what we have done in our bodies, both what is good and what has been worthless. There is the judgment seat of Christ that is coming for those of us who are Christians. Not to determine whether it's heaven or hell, that's already determined in this life, and beyond this life it's too late to determine that. We will be examined for the works of our lives. It is good for us to remember that. That is sobering. And the writer of Hebrews says, it is good for us even to remember that we are in the hands of a God who is a consuming fire. The Bible says on that day, every one of us will have his due or his deserved praise from God. But then there is a second judgment the Bible talks about. It is a judgment. I'm not going to take the time to read it because we're a little crunched for time today. But in Revelation 20 and verse 4, there is a judgment that is suggested there that will involve everyone else who is a believer in the true God apart from those who are in the church. Those who are saved during this age belong to a unique group of people of uh, people that God is calling out for his son as a bride. But before the church began, the righteous of the Old Testament, those who will be converted and saved during the tribulation after the church is gone, what of them? Well, the Bible says they too will have a part in the first resurrection, it is called, and they will be judged at that point, that is, examined to receive their rewards for their faithfulness in serving God. Noah, that preacher of righteousness, will be rewarded for what he did in his generation. David will receive his reward in his day. And all of the saints of the Old Testament, as well as those who will be saved after the church is completed. And then there is that dreadful judgment. The third one that is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 to 15 that is called the great white throne judgment, which is when all of those who have rejected Christ and who have died without Christ are brought before the judgment bar of God. And it is an exceedingly dreadful scene 
And it cannot be watered down by going back to it and saying, this doesn't mean what it says. It means something else. No, no. It is a scene in which the books are opened. And those who are brought before that judgment are judged out of the works that are permanently recorded in those books. Their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, and they are cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever, says God's word. A dreadful scene. So there is judgment coming for all. It takes place at different times. Now what should be our response to this? Well, in the first place, our response ought to be one of rejoicing. You say, well, that's calloused. How could one rejoice in judgment like this? It's very simple. Because in the judgment that is to come, God is going to vindicate his justice and his righteousness and his majesty. And he will overthrow his enemies. And all of God's people will in that day rejoice that God is vindicated before the world as the holy and unique God that he is. We can rejoice in that. It also brings to us a certain assurance. That we who have lived for Jesus Christ in this world and have forsaken it, the world, who have sought to sacrifice for Christ and to live faithfully in this world, that we shall one day, by God's goodness, be rewarded. For that is God's desire and God's pleasure to reward his faithful servants. Whether that service be seen by men and applauded or it be entirely invisible to men. It makes no difference. God sees it. And God who sees in secret will reward openly, says the Bible. And so there's that assurance that it is worth sacrificing for Jesus Christ. It is worth dying on a beach in Ecuador at the spears of Indians. Because one is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As Jim Elliott wrote in that journal. The justice of God is one of those aspects about God's nature that some would rather not think about. Let's talk of God's love and God's mercy and God's goodness and certainly we want to talk about those things. But let us not forget to talk about this side of God, too. For this also is the God that we worship. The greatest display of God's judgment, however, is not found at the judgment seat of Christ. The greatest display of God's judgment is not found in the temporal judgment that he brings, <clears throat> excuse me, in isolated occasions, such as Ananias and Sapphira. The greatest display of God's justice is not even found at that final great white throne judgment when the lost will be called before the judgment bar of God. But the greatest display of God's judgment is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
If you want to understand how God hates sin as much as he loves sinners, then go to the cross. And behold there God's own beloved Son, whom he sacrificed because of sin in this world. And on this Communion Sunday, as we come to the Lord's table and we partake of that piece of cracker and we drink that cup, let's remember that what we are doing symbolizes the justice of God. And it tells us that God judges sin. And it reminds us that at Calvary there is refuge from the wrath of God. And if we've trusted Jesus Christ, these elements tell us that we are safe in the refuge that God has provided in his Son. So we can be glad. We can rejoice. We can partake of these elements thanking God for Jesus. Because he is our deliverer from the wrath of God that is to come. Let's pray. O oh, Holy Lord, write upon our hearts a true understanding of yourself that we might know you as you are, not as we would like to create you to be in our fanciful imaginations. And as we think of your justice this morning, may our hearts respond out of a desire for purity in our lives, respond with commitment to sacrifice and faithfulness in this world, knowing that we'll be rewarded for it, and also with deep gratitude for Jesus, who bore our judgment. In his name we pray, amen.